You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. This is really a lot of fun to do this, to pick out 20 verses in the Bible, and, and we kind of banter around a little bit, and uh, because to think that there are just 20 uh, verses in the Bible that are that stand above the rest, kind of like these, these verses that everybody should know. Uh, there's thousands of them, <laughs> you know, and, but uh, he settled on this and gave me my assignment, and I, and I looked at this one, and because when we first started doing this, I said, well, I know the verses I want to do, but then I looked at this one, and I went, well, that's, and then I read it, and I went, no, I like this one, <laughs> this, and he's right, this is a good one, and um, and so this verse today is from Genesis chapter 50 in verse 20. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. In fact, the, the uh, section of the scriptures that we're going to be going through is 15 through 20, or 15 through 21 when we, when we read this. But let me just read this verse to you right now, because you're going to recognize this as you're turning there. The verse goes like this, and it's just half the verse, and it says, Now as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Let me say that again. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And when you read that, just you pluck it out of the air like that and take it out of context, your mind just goes like that. Wait a minute, you know? Uh, there's some things we know about God, and, and, and one of the things that we know about God is God is good, some of you guys did that real well. So it goes, God is good all the time. That's the phrase we're So ready? God is good all the time. And another thing we know about God is that, that God loves us more than we could ever comprehend, right? We have these tiny brains for this earth. And it's, it's almost as if, you know, we just have the capacity for only so much. And so when we look at something like this, that's why, we, that's why we say, my mind is blown. That's where that phrase comes from, because I don't think we were, can really comprehend this fully, right? What is meant evil against me, God, can, God meant it for good. Wow. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at an attribute of God that that something is always happening in your life behind the scenes and you will never understand it, but you will see it eventually. But at the moment you're going through it, you're thinking, you know, aren't I a child of God? Why, you know, God, if this is how you treat your friends, you know, <laughs> I can't imagine being your enemy, right? And you, and you feel like that sometimes because bad things happen, evil you know, people do evil against us, okay? But somehow God can turn this to the good. Now, I went on a little search on the internet, which is kind of fun sometimes because as Forrest Gump says, you know, you never know what you're going to get, right? It's like a box of chocolates. So you go on the internet, you start looking stuff up, and I wanted to see if there was a single word in the English language for the definition of when bad things happening, that can turn into something good, okay? But so what come up, what popped up was a bunch of phrases. 
And here's some of the phrases that popped up. It says, look on the bright side, or if there's any consolation, right? Or this is a blessing in disguise, okay? Or the darkest hours just before the dawn. Yeah, okay, here's one. If there's no pain, then there's no gain, yeah? And then the, the classic one, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, unless it's a train, <laughs> right? Coming at you. But there's, a, there's an old Chinese proverb that's kind of an example of this, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard this. And let me read this. It's kind of short, but it's kind of cute. It says, there, this old Chinese proverb is about a farmer. Now, a farmer finds a horse, okay? But, this, and, but then he has his horse flop, and then the horse runs away. And so the neighbor says, well, that's bad news. But the farmer replies, well, good news, bad news, who can say? But then the horse comes back and brings another horse with him. (laughs) Good news, you might say. The farmer gives a second horse to his son who rides it and is thrown and badly breaks his leg. So sorry for the bad news, the neighbor says. Oh, the farmer says, good news, bad news, who can say? A few weeks later, the emperor's men come and take every able-bodied young man to fight in a war, but the farmer's son is spared. Good news, I guess, right? And so as, as this dichotomy happens in our lives, and, and, and all of us here have experienced stuff like this, but this one word kept popping up, and I had to look this word up, and the word is called serendipity serendipity. So I had to look deeper into that. Now, probably the best definition for, for serendipity, kind of concise in a nutshell, it says, this is when something good happens by random chance or luck. Random chance or luck, serendipity. Such a cute word. It's like every Hallmark movie ever written <laughs> is built around serendipity. <laughs> Correct? Just think about that for a second. Yeah. Something good happening by random chance or luck. Now, you and I, we're children of God. There's another word for this. It's called providence. In fact, a better definition of that would be God's divine providence, correct? Yeah, because, because in, in God's divine promise, providence, it means that no matter what happens to you, evil or good, God has a, an end game in mind here, right? There's a purpose for your life. And God will achieve his purposes regardless of whether things are happening bad or good to you. Now, I like to use the phrase, well, that's a God thing, right? So when something bad happens, but then, but ultimately something good comes out of that, that's a God thing, okay? But let me, let me talk about God's providence here for a second. Now, we say God is provident. But when we talk about God's providence, we're not talking about his, his miraculous works. We're not talking about miracles. See, the miracle is when God intervenes. He intervenes by manipulating natural law, right? And so something supernatural, something that is kind of impossible, happens. We call that a miracle. Providence is different. Providence is this. 
It's where God cooperates with natural law to effect a supernatural result. So that, this just means that he is manipulating ordinary events to bring about an extraordinary outcome. Okay? So now for this morning, God is going to use this story of Joseph, okay, and then Scripture's going to look at, to illustrate his providence. Because, you know, Joseph, a lot of bad things happen to Joseph, but we see what the end of it is. But we're not going to, we don't have time to go through the entire story this morning unless you guys are game. We'll be here for hours and hours going through this story. But we won't do that, okay? So Joseph's story starts in Genesis chapter 37. We are only going to, we're going to go to the final, basically the crescendo of the story at the very end of it, the high moment, okay? This is, this is going to be after Jacob's death. This is going to be when... You know, after they, they bury him, they return to Canaan. They bury Jacob, Joseph's father, and then they return back to Egypt. And, and then this is where the story picks up. But to set this up, we have to understand something about Joseph, okay? First of all, he's kind of a nobody kid. He's the 11th son of 12 boys. And the family that he comes from is basically what you call a dysfunctional family. I think that's even being generous to call them a dysfunctional family. Because first of all, we see here that, that Jacob has four wives. Okay, not one at a time, but at the same time, four wives. I do not recommend that. You're with me. I saw that. One's enough. One is, in fact, one is more than enough. Okay. And on the flip side of that, why don't you ever read in any historical books or biblical or whatever it is, why don't women ever have four husbands? Why is it never the other way around? Why do the women never have multiple husbands? I think, I think to answer that, you just look at our pastor. He's got four boys. Can you imagine Jane having to be with five men for the rest of her life? That's, that's virtually impossible. Virtually impossible. So that's why you never see that happen. Okay? But Jacob had four wives at the same time. Can you imagine? You know, there's, there's enough happens in life. There's so much going on with just one wife. And now you understand why this is dysfunctional, Right? Now, here comes along Joseph. Joseph was the first son of Jacob's favorite wife. Okay? So he becomes the favorite son. And Joseph's main job was to be Jacob's spy, his father's spy. So his main number one duty was to tattle on his brothers. So as you can imagine, Joseph was not well-liked. In fact, even to say he was hated is an understatement. Joseph was extremely hated. And then on top of that, Joseph was given a gift of dreams. And you might call it a gift. In his case, it was a curse for a while because he got, had these dreams where he saw these visions of, of sheaves and, and other things that, that basically the interpretation was that his, someday his brothers and his parents will all bow down, bow down to him and serve him. 
Now, that, that wouldn't have been such a problem if Joseph would have kept his mouth shut, but no. No, he had to tell, he had to tell his brothers, he had to tell his, his parents. And so, again, that didn't help his reputation much. And so Jacob sent his brothers far off, you know, as shepherds, they had to, they had to, they had to chase, chase the, the, uh, the grass, right? Chase the pasture, because as they would eat up, they would move on to the best, better pastures. And they were far away, so Jacob says, Joseph, it's time for you to go check on your brothers and bring a report back to me. What are they up to? Go tattle on your brothers, right? And so they saw him afar off. Now, we're gonna talk more about when these guys get their heads together. And, and, uh, but when these 10 brothers put their heads together, nothing good happens. <laughs> okay, and that's recorded in scriptures. And when they see Joseph afar off, they say, we're gonna kill him. And so when, when, so when he finally shows up, hey guys, bam, they grab him and they throw him into a pit where he can't get out. Throw him into a deep pit. So Joseph is down there and they have every intention just to leave him there and never bring him out. But as evening comes along, you can just about hear, guys, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> Let me out. And I think Judah, it got, it got to Judah and, and they contrived, well, instead of, instead of letting him die in that hole, they saw a caravan afar off and they said, let's sell him into slavery. And so what happens is he does get sold into slavery. And so his, his brothers really are guilty in Scripture, written in Scripture as, as being involved in all kinds of sinful activity. They get involved in rape. They get involved with murder. They get involved with incest. And they get involved with human trafficking with their own brother. So, so here we are, okay? So this sets it up. So now... All these things, and we're going we're gonna to look at this list a little later on of all these things that happened to Joseph. But now we're at the end of this story, the crescendo of this story. And now I'd like you to open up your Bibles now to, to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to read this. We're going to read this little excerpt here. Genesis 50, verse 15. 50, 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept as they, when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for how you work behind the scenes. You never sleep. You always have our best interests in mind because you are good all the time. And we thank you 
that for no good reason that I can think of, you love me more than I can comprehend. So, Father, as we study your word this morning, give us your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's pick this apart a little bit. Let's go back to verse 15 and look at this. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Now, as I said before, collectively, when these guys put their heads together, they start to come up with all kinds of stuff that just is not good, okay? There was a saying that, that, we, that I heard a long time ago, and I think it applies to this right and right here. It says, it says, people do change, but not that much. <laughs> and these guys, after all they've been through, these 10, these older 10 brothers, they haven't changed all that much, okay? But here's the difference here. We're going to contrast now Joseph with these 10 brothers. You see, Joseph has allowed God to change him. Joseph has submitted himself and everything that's happened to him to God. Joseph has learned to trust God. These brothers, not so much. Let's go back Flip back to Genesis chapter 45. We'll look at Genesis chapter 45. So this is a few chapters back, five chapters back. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Verses 1 through 9. What we're going to look at here is, the, is Joseph's brother's response to the revelation. It's really the climax of the story. It's really the most fun part of the story, right? It's when Joseph's playing head games, mind games on these guys, because there's a famine there's a famine in Canaan, and, and, if, and the only place where there's food is in Egypt. And this, because this famine is, I mean, it is, it is a, more than a regional famine. It's, it's, it's widespread. And so, jo, so Joseph's family is forced to come to Egypt to get food, right? And Joseph, they, and so eventually they get there, and Joseph is just doing his job. He's, he's doling out the food, doling out the food, okay? Because it was Joseph's plan that God gave him, gave him through the interpretation of the dream to have Egypt store up food for seven years. Because the dream that he interprets for Pharaoh is there's going to be seven years of fat, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. In order to survive the seven years of famine, you're going to have to store everything up, or store everything up, store up enough to make it through the seven years. And so Joseph is now in charge. He's large, in charge, and he's in charge of handing out the food. And so he's receiving the, the visitors that are coming to Egypt to trade for food. And lo and behold, 10 dudes are in front of him, and that's his brothers. And they have no idea this is Joseph. Now, if you look historically, you know, the Egyptians, they had, they had an affinity against hair, Okay. I think my head does too, okay? But, but they would shave all their hair off. And then, of course, you see them in the depictions there, they, they, they wear makeup. Okay, we call it manscara, right? When you're around the eyes. So, that, so, they're, so they're, they're wearing all this makeup and stuff. And, and of course, they, when Joseph was pretty young, was a young man when they threw him in the pit. And who knows how many years have gone by. I, I'd probably say 20, probably maybe 20 years go by. 
maybe more. And Joseph now is a fully grown man, and he's in Egyptian clothes, and he looks like an Egyptian, and his brothers are right before him, and they have no idea. And so he plays for, for a few chapters. He's just playing mind games on these guys. It's really a fun story. So go back and read this story. You'll have a good time with this story. Okay? So, but, but after a while, Joseph just can't handle it anymore. He's got to tell them. He's got to reveal himself to them. So, so we call this part of the story the big reveal, right? So verse, verse 1 of chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go, go from me. So, so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Not only do I believe that this word dismayed, I don't think it, it does justice to what was really going on. I can imagine, here's 10 guys, all of a sudden looking like a deer in the headlights, going, the trap is sprung, we're undone, we're dead men. Here's the most powerful man in Egypt besides the Pharaoh. In fact, probably in the known world at that time, the Egyptians were the most powerful uh, country at that time. And Joseph is standing before them, and he says, I am your brother. And they're going, oh, oh, right? This is the end. Never thought the end was going to happen like this, right? So they're dismayed. They can't even answer the question, is this father still alive? Is Jacob still alive? They're, they're dismayed. And then verse 3 goes on, verse 4 goes on and says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, okay, now listen to what Joseph tells him. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. See, Joseph is in a different level than these guys right? And dare I say that a lot of us sitting in this tent this morning, and those people on the fringes out there, hi guys, way over there, way over there. Dare I say that many of you have gotten to where you are today by God's divine providence by, by living through a lot of evil. And you've got to a place now to where you have learned that you can trust God. You have gotten to a place to learn that, that God is always working. And that what this evil world has for us, God will always, always tilt it in our favor. And Joseph understood that, okay? He understood that way before this verse in Romans 8.28, right? For God... And so verse 8, Romans 8, 28, let me read that. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. 
And, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also, that he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you catch that in, in Romans here, where it says, you'll be the firstborn among many brothers? That was literally fulfilled in Joseph's life. That he was the 11th born, but he became the firstborn. And it was just, it's just an interesting dichotomy, again, just this, this dynamic that's going on, okay, that God is always working behind the scenes. And so Joseph, when he says this in, in, in uh, Genesis 45, he says that God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt, come down to me, do not tarry. So Joseph poured his heart out to his brothers already. So now, fast forward again, back over to Genesis chapter 50 again, back to our text. Okay, so now his brothers are getting together and they're thinking, they're thinking, wow, now that father's dead. Joseph's going to kill us. We'll be executed. And so verse 16, let's read verse 16 here, verse 16 and 17 in Genesis 50. So they sent a message to Joseph. See, they don't even have the guts to go in person. They sent messengers. Your father gave us this command before he died and say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept. This, cut, this hurt Joseph. Joseph has, has done anything, anything to these guys but good. He hasn't done anything to these guys except compassion. He showed them, he showed them how he was going to care for them. And so they sent servants, messengers, to give Joseph the news. Secondly, there's no record of Jacob ever saying this. They made this up. They made this up. They, they needed to kind of embellish their story a little bit because they were, now they're afraid of Joseph. And, but, but give these guys a little bit of credit. They recognized that what they did to Joseph was evil and it was sinful. And they thought that, that Joseph somehow was going to get his revenge. So Joseph says to them in verse 18, okay, well, let's, let's read verse 18. His brothers then also came down and fell down before them. So finally the brothers come. And they said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? You see, I like to contrast, and, and I think it's rightly so. Joseph is contrast to Jesus many places. There's a lot of symbolism, a lot of typology here where, where Joseph is, was, is compared to Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 17, in fact, 
Not to mess up this verse, I'm going to go there. So John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 17. It says this. You guys, this, this, is a, this is one of the verses that didn't make the list, so I'm okay revealing this verse. I won't get in trouble by Pastor Rick, okay? It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did not send Joseph down to Egypt to, get, to find a way to get revenge on his brothers. This is not the Count of Monte Cristo. You guys know that story, right? This is not that. God sent Joseph to Egypt to preserve the, the, the Hebrew nation. Because there was a promise, a little, little promise that was made to Abraham, right? That the great nation will come from you, Abraham. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So our salvation is why God sent Jesus into the world, not to condemn the world. So, it's, so we understand now, Joseph is saying, I'm not that guy. I am not in the place of God. Okay? He understood that his job in Egypt was to do God's will to preserve a nation. Verse 20. Verse 20, and as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring, about, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now let's talk about what Joseph went through, okay? Let's look at God's providence here. This is from the Blue Letter Bible, David Guzik, my, one of my faves, right? So commentary from the Blue Letter Bible on Genesis chapter 50, he puts, he puts it like this. If Joseph's brothers never sold him to the Midianites, then Joseph would have never gone to Egypt. If Joseph never went to Egypt, he never would have been sold to Potiphar. If Joseph was never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife would have never have falsely accused him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never falsely accused, falsely accused Joseph of rape, then Joseph would have never been put in prison. If Joseph was never put in prison, he would have never met the baker and butler of Pharaoh. If Joseph never met the baker and butler of Pharaoh, he would never would have interpreted their dreams. If Joseph never interpreted dreams, he would have never he would have never interpreted Pharaoh's dream. If, if Joseph never interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he would never have become prime minister, second in Egypt only to Pharaoh. If Joseph never became prime minister, he would have wisely prepared, he would have never wisely prepared for the terrible famine to come. If Joseph never wisely prepared for the terrible famine, then his family back in Canaan would have died in the famine. If Joseph's family back in Canaan died in the famine, then Messiah could have not come from a dead family. And if Messiah did not come forth, then Jesus never came. If Jesus never came, then we are all dead in our sins and without hope in this world. Yeah, see? It's, it's, it's all what, what we learned in science, the cause and effect, right? 
cause and effect. So God is always behind the scenes manipulating things in this fashion, okay? Now, turn with me to another famous verse. It's in, you don't have to go there, I'll read it. But it's in uh, John chapter 16, verse 33. I'm going to start in verse, let's see. Yeah, I'm going to just do verse 33. Guys there? Verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. How many of you got that hanging on your fridge? <laughs> right? But the second part of that, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, there's this, this concept just keeps popping up all over the Bible. And as I was studying this, this isn't the only one. I mean, they're all over the place. They're all over the place. And so, so, so the last one I'm going to have you turn to, okay, well, maybe not. There'll, there'll be one more, okay. Let's go to... Let's go to the book of, let's see, where, where am I going to be? Let me get my notes here, so don't mess it up. Okay. My notes are a mess, huh? Okay, here we go. Uh, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. This is going to take a little while to get to, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll stall here a little bit, Okay. God, and I think I say, I say this all the time. This is like one of my favorite anecdotes to talk to you guys about, okay? So while you're going to Isaiah 46, 9, God created time, right? But God did not confine himself inside of time. God's outside of time. So, if, so when God looks down at our lives, and who could I pick on right there? Well, Larry, he's just right there. He's just right in my eyesight. When he looks at Larry, he sees the day Larry was born and the, Larry, the day Larry dies and every day in between all at the same time. That's a, that's a wild attribute, right? And in fact, God is so large, so inf just infinitely large in my mind, I can't, I can't even comprehend it, that he does it to all of us all at the same time. But not only that, he's able to manipulate events around us to get us to where he wants us to be. Now, there are going to be times when we're going to resist that. But don't worry. God's going to get you there. That just means you're just going to have to go through that trial all over again. Gotcha, huh? Think about that. So when trials and tribulation come in your life, if you resist them and if you, if you fight God on that and you don't learn what God's trying to teach you and if you don't get to where God's trying to get you, do it again. Do it again. I, I homeschooled our kids, okay, in part of their high school. And the, the beauty of homeschooling your kids is that they never get any Bs and Cs and Ds and Fs. They only get As. You know why that is? Go do it again. You didn't get it. So if you turn in a paper 
okay? You turn in the paper and, and, you, have, and you don't get an A on this paper, then obviously I didn't do my job and teach you, so we're gonna go do this again. So my children learn to get it done, get it right the first time, or they're gonna have, they won't have time for video games in the afternoon, right? A little incentive going on right there, right? So we're like that, right? God is, is teaching us. He's, he, we, we go through trials. We go through tribulation. When we're going through that, we squirm and we fight and we complain and we whine. It's okay, okay? It's okay. God, God's big. He can handle that stuff, okay? But you, uh, you have to understand that, that God is trying to take you somewhere. And bad things will happen. Evil things will happen but they're not from God. Okay, God is not, God is good all the time, right? Isaiah 46, verse nine. Remember the formal things, former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Yeah. See, he, he will accomplish his purpose. The Bible says it right there. And he is not gonna take no for an answer because he's God, because he's allowed to. He's God, you're not. And you might as well just settle down and deal with it. You know, you don't have to say, thank you, sir, may I have another. You do not have to say that. But you do have to understand what, that God has only good things for you in your future. Okay? Trust him. Now, we're going to close with this one. Now, I had to look this one up, too, to make sure it wasn't on the list. Should be on the list. Proverbs chapter 3. You guys know this one? Come on. Proverbs chapter 3, verses, yes, verses 5 and 6. I got people up here in the front knowing that. Yeah, they got it. They got it. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Let me just close with this. There's, I don't have a motive to tell you this, okay? But on December 31st, I turned 65. Okay? But where I'm getting at is not that I want you to throw me a party, although it's a good night for a party, right? New Year's Eve. I've been on this planet for 65 years, almost 65 years. So I can tell you that I've learned a couple things and I've been through a couple things. And every one of you sitting here in the sound of my voice right now can tell me stories. So have you. But as we, as we come together on Sunday mornings to worship God, what do we say when we worship God? Thank you, right? Thank you. We worship you. We worship you for, for what you have done in our lives. You heard me. I, many of you heard me. For those of you who don't know me, okay, 
uh, I went through a stretch, right? I call this stretch that I went through a couple years ago, it was, called, it was the valley of the shadow of death. I went through that valley. You know who was walking with me? God was. You see, COVID came along, right? My son ended up with lungs that were like Swiss cheese. And he ended up having to have a double lung transplant. But while this was going on, we were preparing for end of life. He was in the hospital. He wasn't going to come out. He wasn't going to come out alive. But through providence, God's divine providence, he qualified at the top of the list as a father of three, 32 years old. the breadwinner of his family, youth pastor. God put him on the top of a list for an ECMO machine. And it, now an ECMO is the machine that, 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 take, that, that when blood is pumped out of your body, it goes into the machine and oxygen is infused into this machine and that gets put back into the body. It is used for heart and lung transplants. There, was a, there were available machines in the country when COVID hit they were finding out that they could keep people alive on ECMO long enough to rehabilitate their lungs, or in my son's case, double lung transplant. About three months into this ordeal, my wife had a major stroke. She's standing over there, over at the porch. Yeah. Almost, you can, you can almost not tell that that ever happened. It was a major stroke. In fact, the neurologist, I don't know how that neurologist didn't become a Christian that day <laughs> when he saw the picture of her stroke and, how, and, 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 and what this woman was like standing in front of her speaking. This woman shouldn't even be able to speak, let alone function. And yet God's divine providence. Amen. Now, what she, now, one of the effects of that stroke is if she, she probably doesn't remember your name, or if she does, uh, that's a miracle. But, she, but the aphasia is, you know, is what she struggles with. But most of the time, you, you can't even tell that's going on. A month later, my dad dies. And then right after that, my dog dies. Now, you don't think that's a big deal. <laughs> that was a big deal. I never thought it was going to be a big deal. That stupid little multi-poo, you know, you fall in love with these little things, and they, they're like children, you know? And then somebody said to me, wow, you must be, you're, you must be something else, because, you know, God, I know that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I just looked deadpan into his eyes, and not wanting to be snarky or anything, and I said, no, that's not how it, that's not how it goes at all. When life is too much to handle, God is there. God is there. Trust me on that. I've been through all that. So as I stand here this morning, all vertical and everything, <laughs> right? And if I turn sideways, I didn't miss any meals during that whole time, okay? God is so good. God is so good. He preserves us through all of this. And, and you know... So 
the worst thing that could happen will not turn out to be the worst thing that can happen. Because the Bible tells us very clearly, to die is great gain. It's kind of hard, kind of hard to, to want to, to believe that when you're watching loved ones suffer. But to die is great gain. And so in the back of my head, I always knew that if my son or my wife lost their lives, that's great gain. But to live is Christ. And that is why we're here. So if you want to if you want to know what a divine what your divine purpose for you in this life is is Christ. Amen. To live is Christ. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church podcast. For more information and service times go to ranchchurch.com.